Happy Tuesday, everybody. Good morning to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. Uh, it means it's time for Tim with Tim. How are you doing? You good? Uh, we are in the Gospel of Mark now, right at the beginning. We just started yesterday. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 45. I'm already loving this. I think you're going to love it too. This is a good passage. I kind of feel bad because uh, I may need to slow down even more because I, don't, I just don't want us to bite off more than we can chew on a single day because th this material is just so good and it's just dense. It's, just, it's packed right in together. So let's jump in. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. Uh, we assume that, uh, that probably Peter, Andrew, James, and John all uh, lived in Capernaum, perhaps. I mean, that's a safe assumption. And now this is the continuity of the story. He's called these first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and now they go to the town of Capernaum. There, they are uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So this first, uh, first couple of episodes here, notice that it's all taking place on the Sabbath. And so uh, Jesus begins to teach in the Sabbath. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught with real authority. Authority is a very important key word in, in this first uh, section here. What do you think it means, Authority. Uh, authority. He taught with real authority, not like the uh, the teachers of the religious law that they were accustomed to. So there's something different about the way Jesus teaches. They haven't really seen him. I mean, the assumption is that this is sort of their introduction to him, his teaching of the scriptures, but instantly they recognize something different about him, and that something different is what they call authority. Uh, you probably heard me say before, you know, author means you wrote the book. So when Jesus teaches the Bible, it's like he wrote the book, you, you know, and that's not even a joke, you know. Uh, authority has to do with power, of course, uh, the, uh, the, the authority or the right to command. Um, so when Jesus teaches, you know, he has authority. I mean, sometimes we say, man, that, that surfer has such a command of the board, such a command, you know, of, uh, man, that... That lady, you know, that works at the bakery has such a command, you know, of the blender. I mean, whatever. It, it, in that sense, we, we use, you know, that authority, that, that command as, as a sense of having this confidence that has to do with personal experience or knowledge. You know, so Jesus teaches with this authority, which means he has this this um, this prerogative, this this right to command, but but also this knowledge. You know, like he wrote the book, it, he teaches with this personal expertise, this knowledge. You know, just a command of the scriptures. You, you know, you know what I'm saying? And they've never heard anything like that. Of course, you haven't. It's Jesus. He wrote the book. You know, um, but the first thing that strikes them there is is his authority. When Jesus teaches, his teaching demands this decision. In other words, it's not debate. You know, you don't say, well, Jesus, you know, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, have you also read, you know, this part or do you, do you know about this? I mean, you're not going to tell him something he doesn't know. So when Jesus is your teacher, you don't get to debate. You know, and it's not because, you know, he shuts you up. It's just because his knowledge, you know, leaves nothing else to be said, you know. So his preaching, his teaching, it, it demands this decision. You've either got to believe it or not believe it, live it or, 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 or refuse it, but you're not going to in any way prove him wrong. 
you know. And so he teaches with this authority. There's no debate. There's no dialogue because there's nothing to add when Jesus, you know, wrote the book. So uh, this beginning here in, in the synagogue, Jesus is teaching and they're, they're struck with his authority. But then notice how instantly uh, there is the man with the demon who begins to cry out. Now, this is his authority manifest. It's manifest first in his teaching, but now his authority, his right to command is manifest in his dealing with this, this demon. Notice how the demon knows more about Jesus than the people. Like the, the demon instantly knows who he is and why he's come, and he ain't wrong. You know, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of, of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, he ain't wrong. I mean, actually, he's right. This is who Jesus is. And, you know, the book of First John does say that Jesus came to destroy the works of the, of the evil one. So, yeah, Jesus came to, to call out Satan and strip him of his power. And that's what he's about to do when the demon knows it. You know, so Jesus, with with his authority, just silences him, you know, shut up, you know, be quiet. And instantly the demon comes out of the man because Jesus just says, shut up, come out, you know. And uh, the man makes some noise, rolls around the floor, goes into convulsions. The demon screams and, uh, and, and, and leaves, you know. Amazement grips the audience, okay. Uh, okay, so again, it's still about authority. Uh, it's that demonstration of authority, you know. Uh, what kind of new teaching is this? It has such authority. Even the evil spirits obey his orders, you know, and the good news spreads quickly uh, about Jesus. So um, understand a a couple of things. They're amazed, uh, they're gripped, they're interested, they're fascinated, but I don't mean they're saved, you know. I mean, all of these things are responses to Jesus' teaching, but that doesn't mean that they have faith. And so that's something that you have to recognize, that Jesus didn't come to put on a show and entertain people and amaze them. He came to save them and deliver them from the sins. He came to destroy the the work of the devil in all of us. And so the fact that they're like, dang, that was was something else, man. I'd like to see more of this, you know. That doesn't mean that they're responding in, in faith. The news spreads quickly, and that sounds like good news, but, but follow the story. So after Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went straight to Simon and Andrew's house. So the, uh, we're still in Capernaum. The, the implication is that uh, Simon Peter's house must have been you know, like right next door to the synagogue. They walked out of one and straight into the other. Uh, and there they find Simon's mother-in-law. Now, I think I said yesterday that Mark is associated with Peter. Mark is assumed to have Peter as his primary source. And so this is one of those stories that Peter would have told. And it's told from Peter's point of view. Again, I remind you, Mark wasn't there. And so Peter would tell the story. You know, his mother-in-law had a fever. In those days, they didn't understand, you know, all the different you know, maladies that could cause the body to respond with fever. Fever was fever. You know, fever was a thing all of its own. And so they told Jesus about his mother-in-law. Again, another aside here, 
This is how we know Peter had a wife. I mean, Paul later in his letters will mention that, you know, Peter had a wife and she traveled with him, you know, and when he did revivals. But, but th- this is the first indication that, that, that Peter has a wife and a house. So, so when the scripture says Peter's leaving everything to follow Jesus, understand he's got a lot going on. He had a life as busy as yours. He wasn't just standing around hoping somebody would make him his disciple. No, this commitment to follow Jesus has a, a lot at stake. And so here we are at Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus goes to the bedside, picks her up, takes her by the hand, helps her sit up. She's healed, instantly healed. And the scripture says the old lady got up and made him supper. <laughs> I just think that's kind of funny. It's just like, you know, if I were her, I'd probably, you know, say, yeah, I'm feeling better, but I think I'm going to let, you know, I'm not feeling 100%. I'm not, I'm not feeling 100%, but now they make, you know, hey, you know, since you're feeling so much better, Ma, would you just get up and rattle some pans? Like, oh my goodness, you know, like she was almost dead and now she got to get up and make supper, you know, and that's just what it is to be a woman, y'all. Uh, anyway, I, I love that. The, the real implication of that is the fact that she was restored completely. You know, it wasn't that, hey, since you're feeling better, now get up, you know, go make some supper. No, the, I think the Greek word there is she ministered to them. You know, so Jesus ministers to her, she ministers to him. Uh, there's nothing bad about it, y'all. I, I just, y'all, y'all know me, I, 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 say, I say dumb stuff sometimes. Let, let me move on. That evening after sunset, remember it's Sabbath. So now the implication is the Sabbath is ended. Sabbath is from uh, sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. So now uh, Sabbath is over and now the people come out and they come to the house. So don't miss that. I mean, the whole town comes to Peter's house, you know, like they're beating on the door, you know, looking in the windows. They're all trying to find Jesus. And it says that night that he heals many people, uh, drove out many demons, and they all knew who he was, but he didn't allow them to speak. Again, once more, Jesus exercises authority over them quickly. Verses uh, 35, 36 uh, through through 39 there. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Uh, I just love that. He's the Savior of the world, but he still has personal needs that he uh, prioritizes without guilt or apology. Uh, it's okay for Jesus to slip off to be by himself, to be with the Father, you know, to pray, to, to get ready for everything that the next day is going to contain. You and I struggle with that, or I, I can't speak for you. I struggle with that. It's hard for me sometimes. It's not about being selfish. It's just about, you know, being human and being smart enough to take care of yourself so that you can do the will of the Father, you know. And, and I am stupidly sometimes just sucked into everybody else's stuff and, and I don't take enough care of myself to, to do the will of the Father. But, but Jesus had no problems, you know, prioritizing his human needs so that he could do everything the, the Father had called him to do. Everybody's looking for you, they say. You know, isn't it funny how the disciples, like, they're not sure Jesus knows exactly how to save the world. So they're like out here saying, hey, you know, Jesus, everybody, you know, get back at it, Jesus. Everybody's looking for you. But notice how Jesus draws a line. He, he knows how to set personal boundaries. Jesus just said, yeah. We got to go on to other towns too. Uh, I'm going to preach to them, you you know. Uh, There's just this implication here that Jesus isn't going to get sucked into being, you know, the the primary source of entertainment in Capernaum. They want this, you know, nonstop medicine show to continue, and and Jesus has a a mission and a purpose. and, and, And for that matter, 
the way that the people now are responding in Capernaum is probably going to actually get in the way of preaching the good news he's come to preach. So, so Jesus moves on. Next story, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. I know my time's up. Um, the thing I notice in reading this, in, in this reading with you, is kind of Jesus' stern demeanor. Um, verse 41, uh, New Living Translation says he's moved with compassion. Um, it's possible, but it's a hard phrase to exactly translate there. It, it's easiest to say he's moved with anger or indignation. So it's almost like Jesus, and, and this man with leprosy is just a man with leprosy, but it's almost like Jesus is here confronting another demon. Um, Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning, don't you tell anybody. He silenced the demons, and now he's this stern warning to this man, don't you tell anybody. Now, this man's going to go right out and tell everybody, so maybe Jesus already knows, of course Jesus already knows, that this man has a disobedient heart. He's going to do the opposite of what Jesus says. You know, so maybe that's something of the stern warning there. There is also in the Gospel of Mark this sense of a messianic secret, don't tell anybody, don't tell everybody, uh, which is sort of the opposite of what we would think. Um, this will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. Jesus sends the leper back to the priest as, as he's supposed to do, go present to the priest and let them pronounce him clean. But notice Jesus says it's a testimony. Uh, the Greek there says it's going to be a testimony against them. In other words, they couldn't do it. You know, let this be a testimony against them. Jesus has a power and authority that once more they don't have. Um, the man went till he blabbed everybody. He did the very opposite of what Jesus said do. As a result, large crowds soon began surrounding Jesus. He couldn't even publicly enter a town anywhere. So he had to stay out in secluded places, but people just kept coming to him. Um, it's that dilemma. On the one hand, we're glad to see people coming to him. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. But there also is this sense in which the crowd of people around Jesus uh, are in the way. You know, they're the people he came to seek and to save and to serve, but at the same time, the crush of the crowd makes it impossible uh, to do the work that Jesus has come to do. Uh, and so we follow from there. That's just the end of chapter one. Our, I mean, that's what I'm saying. The Gospel of Mark is just so amazing because, I mean, we hit the ground running and uh, already. Already the people uh, are, are following in such a throng, you know. So we'll pick up right here tomorrow. 17 verses for tomorrow. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Isn't this good? Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. Listen, I love you guys so much. Stay in the Word. Uh, listen, look out the window at least because it's a beautiful day. Uh, make sure you bring God some praise and glory. Do something for somebody else today in the name of Jesus. I love you guys. I will see you all tomorrow here at 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim, Lord willing. Uh, have a great day.